You are listening to a special episode of the Bondzilla Podcast. This week, we take a deep dive into everything Godzilla. Hello, everyone. It's another Bond... Godzilla, Bondzilla deep dive episode thing that we do on this podcast sometimes, but all the time now since we've done these. Uh, I'm Nick. I'm Will. And yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Enjoy your travels Mm. tomorrow. Maybe listen to this show on your flight, on your road trips, on your, you know. When you, if you need to tune out from the family gatherings. Yes. And listen to some Bondzilla. I was about to say. Yeah. I mean, you can you can basically listen probably to our whole last episode. <clears throat> excuse me, if you really want to get a get 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 away yeah. from the family gathering. It, it definitely, we've given you we gave we have given you plenty of material. Your football team of choice yeah. is losing. Yeah, just turn us on. Yeah, we'll be yeah. here for you. What's a good like Bonzilla like football name like sports team name? It'd be like for both James Bond and Godzilla. It would be like the like the Kentucky Kaijus mm-hmm. and the Minnesota Martinis. There you go. Sure. I can do that. Well, you come up with one. Well, I was going to go more like in detail. What do you mean? Like I I was going to be like, oh, like the, like, uh, uh, the, uh, Jacksonville Jet Jaguars. <laughs> Okay. Oh, I see. I see and, what you mean. Yeah, um, yeah, like the Rhode Island Rodans. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And then uh, the Golden State Golden. Okay, so the Min- Okay, yeah, Golden State Golden Eye, the Minnesota Mothras. Yeah. And the Georgia Georgia Godzilla. The Dallas Diamond Faces. <laughs> see, that's what I was trying to think of. The I was Oakland to be- Odd Jobs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> A little bit more specific to uh, you know. The the things that we've uh, most hold dear to our hearts. That's I like that. I like that. That's good. That's good. Um. So anyway, if anybody wants to draw a logo for one of those fictional teams, you can. I, I can just imagine, like you know those, you know those football, like the NFL, like those dancing robots. Yeah. That you know, that, but those are just Jet Jaguar, just growing, and and. <laughs> It's just Cletus the Fox football robot is replaced by Jet Jet. Is that his name? Cletus. Does that, does that robot have a name? Yes. Are there more than one robot? I thought it was more no, than one. I mean, Cletus is the Cletus is the only one that matters. Does he have like a relationship with like the other mascots or is he just like well, he's just Fox Sports official. Okay. Like he, because the other teams had their own mascots, of course. So he's like, like Fox's mascot. Yes. Okay. It's Fox Sports' mascot. <laughs> Let me be clear. <laughs> but I will say that Cletus did make an appearance in the Fox WWE Draft War Room mm-hmm. uh, for the WWE Draft a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But not was... in the Kevin Costner movie Draft Day. No, I, I don't. In that. I, he could have technically because yeah. it is a football movie with NFL like approval mm-hmm. to it, but I do not believe he makes an appearance. Kevin Costner would be a good addition in either one of these franchises. I think. 
Well, I mean, he was basically he was in. Uh, yeah, he was in Jack, Jack Ryan. Ryan. Yeah, yeah, he basically kind of already was in one, yeah. but he was like the M of the Jack Ryan. Like they were setting him up yeah. to be the M of this Jack Ryan cinematic. You know, universe. be you know, be great. He would be like a great role in like. All right, like M is out of commission, and they're bringing in like an American mm-hmm. to like oversee something yeah. like at MI6 and like it's Kevin Costner. Mm-hmm. Like he would be that, that would be the kind of role that'd be good. for And like, him. he's like, he's kind of a thing where he's like, get like a very Kevin Costner role where he's like struggling with his family in America. And they're like, this is a, like a new opportunity for you. And he's like, kind of like, Oh, Oh, so you're seeing him as like the main character. Well, as a, 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 main ish okay. Yeah. 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 But it's like, I, I was thinking but more of but like the Kevin Costner role that yeah. he plays like, the dad and, and like you know he's like trying like you know he's like maybe remo- you know estranged from his wife still trying to like connect with his daughter and like oh like you're being sent over to the UK to like for a fresh start right right you know and then yeah and then he's, he's like gonna every, try I mean like he's dra- gonna try to make his family proud see, by like that's get, draft right. day that's field of dreams that's three days to kill yeah that's <laughs> tin cup it's uh, all those movies black and white yeah uh, Bull Durham <laughs> Man of Steel? <laughs> no. Yeah, not as much, but no, yeah. But, actually. No, but, but, he's, but see, but no, he is kind of trying, you know, he's kind of, you know, has that strange relationship with his son because his son's an alien and, like, <laughs> you know, it goes against all the traditional Pa Kent uh, things where it's like, traditionally Pa Kent's like, hey, son, you use your power for good. And then Kevin Costner's Pa Kent is like, no, son, you're too different. You can't do the <laughs> that things. That wasn't the point. <laughs> How dare you slander Kevin Costner's words of a of a of a father just trying to make his way in this weird DCE? <laughs> I mean, if you lived in the DCEU too, man, you would <laughs> you just, uh, get out of here while you can. <laughs> Don't get involved. Um. Anyway, yeah. Okay. So Godzilla. <laughs> It is deep. It is a deep dive. It's a Godzilla. See, this is what this is making an enjoyable Thanksgiving for you folks. We're just trying to have a little bit of fun, a little bit of lightness uh, from that weary Thanksgiving world you can live in. You know what? I just found out. I just found out that I think Lance Reddick was in ni- the '98 Godzilla film, but was cut out of it. Oh, okay. like I was yeah. about to say, I think I would have recognized. Yeah, no, he a was a, a, apparently he was he was in the movie at one point, and then but he was ultimately cut out from a story that I heard recently. Well, so, but he's not a Simpsons actor, so no, you can't you can't keep. No, him. no, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Screen time went to more animal. In uh, next in Godzilla that, so. movie, we'll just get the cast of Family Guy. Yeah, <laughs> would you? Would it blow your mind if they brought back returning characters? <laughs> From okay, all right, no, no, no. Here, here's the thing. Would you prefer? No, I, I don't know about prefer because I think we know which one we would like. I think that there are two options here. I think you either just full stop bring back any any of the characters from. I'm not thinking like maybe not a Matthew Broderick, even though no, that'd be you amazing. Bring back Animal. Come yeah, on. yeah. I was gonna say it'd either be like John Reno or Animal. It's gotta be Animal. <laughs> Give Hank Azaria more live action work, please. Can you bet? But they bring him back. He is yeah. that character. Now, would you want to see him like as if those events happen, or if it's like a spiritual, like he's just reprising the role? I just want it. To, I would want it to be in my weird little way. Does he inexplicably just keeps referencing the '98 movie and nobody else pays attention to him? Right. Like everybody else, like acts as if he's saying things that happened in the past two movies, but he's like, like 
what about the fish? Yeah. Well, no, because he has because he has that footage, so it's kind of like the Bigfoot debacle yeah. where he's like, oh, I got some footage of it. Now, what would you do if you watched an American Godzilla film and or any Godzilla film and they bring back those characters, but they like reinvented them, so it's that character but played by different actors. That'd be weird. So, but you know what? Can I say with you? I thought you were about to say. What would you? What you think? I thought you were literally about to say. Imagine an American Godzilla movie or any Godzilla movie, and Don Fry shows up. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh my God! He's he's sent from the future, Terminator style to like save save us. I'm here to save you from Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, it's more like. I'm here to save you from Godzilla. <laughs> but who would who would be a modern day animal? No, no, but but the thing is I almost would like that. Like imagine like they bring back Nick Totopolis. It's yeah. It's Totopolis. But if they brought back that character but as like a different like like recasted essentially. I almost would think it's hilarious because it's like, oh my god! Now officially, the '98 Godzilla film is in valid lore that we can start reinventing. <laughs> reinventing, like yeah. it's like can you imagine like funny. a movie where they they reinvent like you have you have a uh, Miki. <laughs> we just get like you a whole bunch of like traditional, like the princess from. Uh, uh, the Venetian princess yeah. from Godzilla, uh, from uh, from Ghidorah, Ghidorah and- um, Emmy, who is like the Futurian. Yeah. Like it's like all these characters, and then one of your legacy pulls is like Nick Totopoulos, the scientist. Yeah, I would dig that. I, I, <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> um, so speaking of Godzilla films, which is what we talk about on this podcast, um, and kind of an adjacent to the American films, um. One of the things I thought that'd be fun to talk about today was that we just got off the tail of, um, no pun intended, of Godzilla 2014, in which we gave a lot of praise to director Gareth Edwards, specifically more so than I think we had in a while, like truly like the directing Mm -hmm. of the film. Um, And one of the things I thought that we would talk about is directing in a Godzilla film and everything that we've seen in the Godzilla films thus far and eventually segue into who would excite us as directors of any upcoming Godzilla projects and not ones obviously that we know of because we don't know of anything but just what are some of the ones that you know that we think uh would be good and then what do we just ultimately think just from you know this whole history goes into directing these films um that was an interesting subject because again especially with godzilla and i even find this with our other franchise bond but i think uh more so recently like bond has really gotten into kind of known directors right you know it's like they you know in the old days like they did like kind of you know they would have terrence young direct a couple and, and then guy hamilton and then you know it's just like just you're, you're, it's a utilitarian role sometimes yeah. even though they do bring to something but especially more so on the godzilla side of things because you godzilla is just a franchise where you just think it's like oh the big giant monster and mm-hmm. you know they fight each other or destroying cities and you kind of forget that these are still films especially you know its legacy as you know that first one and kind of how well directed it is. Right. Mm-hmm. But you kind of forget that these, 
these are the type of films where you forget they have directors and writers, I think. Mm-hmm. These are the type of films where I think people just kind of look at them like, oh, they're just kind of put out, you know. It's kind of like the animation thing where people like, it's like you push a kaiju button and then here's two more Godzilla monsters. Right, for the right. And, and, I, and but in, at the same, in the same breath, it's also not unreasonable no, 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 I, for I, people I, to have that thought. No, I know. I, I, I was about to say that too, that it's like it's very much in that realm of like, well, of course, these are the type of movies that you just kind of watch and, and get together, especially because they're foreign films and mm-hmm. especially from the length of time that this franchise has existed that even... You know, a lot of times with foreign cinema, especially, you you have the one or two great directors that people know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Japan has like you know their Your Kurosawa's, Kurosawa's yeah. and France mm-hmm. has you know their Truffauts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But like you know, there's a lot of cinema going on, and you just kind of don't know that. It's just, it's just from the era, you know, the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, when much of the stuff, if it was coming to America, coming to our kind of Hollywood film base mm-hmm. was coming in a dubbed way or a weird way or a not easily seen way. Right. And so it's easy to forget that there is still effort put into directing these. So it's kind of taking a deeper dive into the directors and, and what it takes to make a Godzilla movie in that sense is, is kind of an interesting discussion. So Well, and then one of the interesting things about the franchise in general is that I, I think that there is some fairness, you know, just to kind of lean into it in the kind of the quick production and values and yes. like the, the, oh, the almost, for lack of a better term, factory line way in which the, these films are made. These were films that for... Uh, a large portion of its history. Yeah, a large, a large portion of its history. Like films came out one year after another. Like, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting that you can see, you can probably count on like you know only a handful of times in which there were significant breaks, and um, and some of those breaks were intentional. Like um, the only one that was kind of like unusual was the you know going from the fir- in between the first three films yeah. in which like the first one was super successful then they pumped out a sequel and then there were really no plans to even make one until and, like until, they just wanted until, the King Kong film yeah um so until they needed an opponent for Kong exactly so so with that said it, it is interesting that there is some validity to the kind of like factory line way of like making this film because this was like a viable franchise it uh, you know, to varying degrees over its history. But what is also interesting about it is that the way that Toho has kind of operated with these films is that, yes, while these are, you know, for-profit studio films, it was kind of like, well, we need somebody and we're going to plug in, yes, workmen-like directors to, like, do these films. But that being said, the types of films that are being made are not just like, all right, like your standard, like, action affair, or just no, like I mean, your kind that, of, like, whimsical yeah. comedy. These are big special effects driven films and especially those early ones that did play with genre and style Mm -hmm. more so than you know as it kind of got into it and we got to remember too that when we talk about this that those early films had you know two two directors right you know they had the special effects director and you know kind of the 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 more the larger director, the the, the regular. Yeah, director, yeah, I I, guess they they thing. would always uh and and not even the earlier films like that's a mainstay of yeah. Godzilla filmmaking is that you would have like your Hondas and your uh, Superias who would be like yeah. you know they would call it the director and the special effects director and that would normally be split up into the guy who's 
for you know in the simplest way possible to explain it the special effects director is the guy on the stage with the suits and like mm-hmm. the the monster creatures and everything and and probably the director is there as well and whereas the director uh proper or director uh just simply director would be like you know working with the actors on location and like creating making the scenes and everything um but that being said it is it in in some ways it is kind of similar to like you know some current day blockbuster filmmaking in which you know in the grand scheme you could look at it that way. You can look at it as harshly as like, oh, you know, them them just like pumping out these films. But because they require some of that special effects artistry and because of the types of films they are, it is interesting that, you know, you will have the directors that come in and just bang out a film, like definitely. But then you will also have the directors that come in and you're like, all right, well, literally they're just brought in. They're like, just make the movie because we need this movie. So, and then it's incumbent upon them to be like, am I going to, you know, put some style into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we see that with a lot of movies today, but going back to the Godzilla franchise, I mean, you see that just with the transition from, like, Honda to, like, June Fukuda, like, and, like, when you get into, like, the Abiras and things like that. I mean, I think, because distinctly, Abira was, like, a huge, like, that was, I, I think, our first example of, like, a big tonal shift. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. And... In terms of style, not necessarily in terms of like, okay, now these movies are dumb and silly now, yeah. but it was like, that was the one where it's like, all right, you didn't have like a classic Ifakube score and they were doing something weird and crazy with the music. And, and um, like, yeah, it was, yeah, you know, the, the 60s Batman colors and stuff like that, just very distinctly different than um, than the films that had come before it. Mm. Absolutely. So in general, just looking at the franchise as a whole, what what is some of like the biggest highlights or something that comes to mind for you when you just think about Godzilla and directing? Um, I think that the main thing about the Godzilla directing is just knowing how to pr- balance your monster action, your monster stuff with mm-hmm. the with still making a movie. Mm. I feel like you know. Um, I mean, the, I just feel like uh, it's it's easy to say that like the best directed of these movies is that original one in so many ways because it's so emotionally charged. But I do think that it, it takes you know that the thematics of what it represents in terms of the post-war Japan, right, and still balances it with this kind of monster movie. And I still feel like the best directed ones to me are those ones that find that perfect balance. Because mm-hmm. I think that there's sometimes the ones that struggle are ones that tip one way or the other or don't do enough with either. Right. You know, like uh, I, I always go back and I always, always, always go back to Ghidorah, which is still among the best, still like t- second favorite maybe to the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always go back to that one because of just how well, as a Honda movie that it balances kind of all these monsters that it has, you know, Ghidorah, introducing Ghidorah and, you know, Rotan, you know, and, and Godzilla, of course, and using the Mothra Mothra to this kind of wild human plot line that still kind of has an emotional center to it with the princess and the cop and everything like that. And I think that's the thing about the Godzilla movies is that because there's these kind of two separate worlds it has to play with, it has to play with this human world that, you know, is kind of, in many ways small in comparison to these monsters, but still is, you know, dealing with their own issues. 
and it has to deal with these giant monster battles and the emotion of those monsters and the emotion that those monsters represent. Uh, that I think that like a, a good Godzilla director is kind of someone who balances that out as as well as bringing something thematically interesting to the proceedings. Whether it's a very blatant mm-hmm. nuclear thing, whether it's something more subtle, right? Um, even if it's something there, like just something that they bring a little bit of that kind of thematic element to the film, right? And then Honda's an interesting, you know, subject during this conversation because he's obviously somebody who started the whole thing mm-hmm. but even when you see that transition from because he was involved in a lot of of the films like you know he going all the way into destroy all monsters where you and know like all, all the way up to his last one being terror of mechagodzilla he, right so there he, here is like the guy who started it all who's already transitioning from the 1954 film to like you know, let's just say to Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. Well, I mean, yeah, which they're, is, they're two very different types of Godzilla movies. Right. Because, again, that first Honda 54 Gojira is very much, you know, the thematic masterpiece, the emotional story of Japan paying for its sins and, and the fallout of, of all the nuclear warfare that, that had happened, you know, in World War Two. And, he, and then he, you know, Honda is able to, I think, very well transition uh, into uh, doing movies like Ghidorah and King Kong, mm-hmm. which are more, more on the bigger bombastic monster action side, but still find ways to kind of, you know, further that human plot line and that human emotion as well as sneak in those thematic elements. Right. Yeah, and especially because Honda. And it's funny because Honda was always one of those people where he always advocated for like the 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 tragedy of the monster, and mm-hmm. like so he he definitely had an opinion of the creatures going into it, and it's interesting seeing him put it through the lens of in the nineteen fifty four film of like the nuclear allegory, but then eventually kind of more you know put more personality to it and anthropomorphize it with the uh yeah you know by giving them like the legitimate like they're talking they're laughing at each other and they're teasing each other and it's like oh like mother's like oh godzilla feels bad because like you know humans keep on like shooting at him and stuff like that so it's just interesting that him as a director was it has been able to balance those two um so so uh quick but but it is interesting where because and then honestly like you know and then Destroy All Monsters may be the one where it's the most just kind of like blockbustery in terms yeah. of it's the most like, oh, this is just the fun blowout for the sake of, you know, the fun big blowout. And I think ultimately it was because that's what that movie was intended to be. So there really wasn't any other like that may have been the one where he's like, yeah, I'll just uh, I'll bang that one out. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even with that, though, too, it's like, you know, the fact that he's still able to, like, have fun with that concept is still, um, you know, commendable. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing you were talking about, about the best directors being able to. Definitely, it, it seems we have a pattern with a lot of the Godzilla films where the directors who seemingly have a little bit more to say or the movies that that those directors are attached with the movies that are a little bit more yeah more thematically rich too because because even the directors that you know we we've seen i i think especially when you look at that showa era of directors because you have you know honda who comes back a lot and you have june fukuda who does a couple movies in that as well 
and you got to be honest too that their the quality of their movies is you know kind of up and down throughout that era, especially June, who definitely kind of finds himself in a lot of sticky situations with you know the types of movies that they're doing mm, right, right. Um, at that time. But even like Honda, like kind of you can kind of tell the struggle of destroy all monsters was our big blowout we have to do something else now because it was successful well let's push out this weird all monsters attack right right but i feel like there's also a very much like these directors are dealing with whether or not you know then like like nobody goes out to make a bad movie sure we we always talk about you know this off camera off camera off (laughs) off mic um that Audio cameras. That when you're making the movie, <laughs> you're just kind of in there, and even if it's like you're just trying to make the movie, it's just like when you're in that mode, yeah, you feel like you're making something good. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure when Honda was making All Monsters Attack, maybe he didn't feel like it was like the greatest thing he ever did, but I'm sure like during the making of that, he was just like, sure, yeah, this is versus working. This is what I yeah, want. Yeah, and to I be. mean, and there's something, and there's something and the to that. And also, June also directed uh, Geigen, which is another movie mm-hmm. that. That we've not been fans of on on this podcast for its for its kind of tedious length, um, but also then Jun Fukuda did do things like Abira and um, uh, he also directed uh, Megalon, which mm. is uh, again a very special case because that movie was just made so fast right. that you can't even really gather the you know directing wise. That's just basically like we're making this movie so quickly that you just got to pump out the stuff. But I do feel like there's that kind of realm of just like a lot of these, especially from that era, sometimes the directing just by happenstance had to just be utilitarian, like, let's get this movie out there. Um, but they still, I felt like, tried to always sneak in something, thematic, even if it was a little small, mm-hmm. even if it was a little subtle, you know, like even the stuff in Megalon where it's more so like Jet Jaguar, like coming alive on its own and the autonomy of, you know, the invention and, and the spirit of you know, good and humanity that that, right. that movie inhibits. Well, there's, there's, like, a, there's a general overt whimsicalness that Fukuda brought yes. to the to the proceedings. Even when it yeah. always didn't work or when, you know, a lot of those, like, you know, something yeah. like Gigan where it's just like nothing happens in that movie. There was still, like, even, I'll say even, even Gigan, the thing about that movie, like, there's all the, the weird elements that don't work at all, but there's like, oh, like, he, he, he like, he's the, he's the, kaiju artist who like made up mamagon and the mm-hmm. homework monster and then there's like the weird woman who's like you know the like she's like the muscle and then like mm-hmm. the children's park like fukuda tries to bring that whimsical nature that kind of weirdness and fun mm-hmm. to the proceedings and it always doesn't always work in his favor but i do think that's like kind of his strength mm-hmm. as a director whereas i think like honda even when he was at his most blockbustery um, and at his most um, silly in many ways, like in stuff with the insanity that is Ghidorah, uh, I still feel that Honda always tries to bring some sort of general theme or something to that nature. Again, even if it's like a small little thing. Yeah, I like mean, because even... He tries to bring a little bit more emotion, right. I think, than Fukuda does. Oh, 100... I mean, because, you know, we're not fans That's of the movie, kind of but All Monsters Attack, I mean, for... All of its many, many faults. Yeah, it's still a movie about like you know a kid who doesn't want to be bullied. So yeah. it's like it still has kind of I, like that. I, but I even, a- I even go back to, to like uh, even though we've watched the um, you know that kind of weird American cut of, God, of King Kong, 
which again is like the only version we can really truly see. I guess the new Blu-ray. Yeah, the new a, Blu-ray have has a copy, a copy of, the, of it. Yeah, have a Japanese version. But I always think about like how even through the American dubbing, we can kind of tell that there's sort of a, uh, you know, there's kind of a satirization of Japanese television and and like the advertising. Right. You know, we're right. Get Kong for this, like even. Even in that movie, which is very much more so on Honda's kind of blockbustery side, there's still kind of this little dig at, you know, the 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 Japanese corporation doing whatever to like get ratings. Mm. And I do think that Honda always tries to bring, and even like Ghidorah has some of that political stuff and and the general thematics of like these monsters having to work together to bring down the big bad and more of this kind of like the togetherness of everything, mm. just as like, you know, the th- the larger thematics of you know, even as wild as the assassination plot is, there's kind of this wider thing of like, no, we have to be together. Mm. You know, all these political, mm-hmm. ma- you know, nonsense and assassinations and stuff. We really, we have to be together to kind of protect this world. And then, an- and then another example, kind of also sticking into the show era, was because I think a lot of those examples you get like a Honda who is bringing his skills as a director and how he's implementing them in terms of those themes, and then you have a Fakuda who brings like more of a kind of like a tonal stylistic thing going yeah. on. Skip ahead, skip ahead to somebody like Yoshimitsu Bano who comes in to do Hidora, yeah. which may be our first time since Honda himself, but honestly the first time in the franchise in which you have a director who is very pointed and very, he's coming like a in a very specific point of view. Yeah, and he's like this is the movie that he's making, this is what he's doing with the movie and like th- th- this is his goal. I think that like Bono is the first one who really is looking at like cuz the thing is like obviously like when you when you have Honda making that first one, it's really much like the thematics and then this monster movie kind of comes out of it as we've talked about. Um but a lot of them are basically then the, even like Honda's and Fukuda's films, they kind of become like, well, we're making like a Godzilla movie now, mm. and you know we'll fit all these other themes, but it kind of almost feels like Godzilla movie. The Godzilla part comes first, mm-hmm. and I think like what Bono is really the first one that says like, well, these these movies are really a big opportunity to tell like a story. So mm-hmm. I'm going to tell the story, or like I, a big global message. Yeah. Like, so yeah. I'm going to tell the story. I'm going to give the message that I want to tell, and I'm going to find a way to involve Godzilla right. because there is the sense that you could kind of to in you wouldn't be completely off base by arguing the point that almost there was a certain point in the Showa era where the whole message became very obligatory mm-hmm. like in the, it's like well it's not a Godzilla message unless somebody mentions like oh like uh if the humanity didn't screw up the planet but then when you get to Hedora, Hedora is like kind of a more specific like it's it's stri- it's more about the pollution and everything yeah. and and it's not tagged on, and it's not like a, no, no, it's, a an yeah. afterthought. This right. is like it's not the like entire the other, DNA like, of the like film. Think, like comparing Hedora to like the end of Ibira, which inf- inf- infamously within our podcast has the most random and nuclear warfare. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's bad <laughs> moment. But Hedora is very pointed, and it's very much a director. It's like I'm using the Godzilla film as a platform mm. to say this. I feel like. The platform in in Bono's case comes first, mm. and and everything that the movie is, everything that Hedora is, revolves around the message he wants to make. Yeah, no, uh, I would say absolutely. And even even sometimes at the, because I think the thing about difference, and again, Hedora definitely has its interesting moments, has its flaws, but I think a big difference between Bono and like Honda, because Honda also, I think, 
did try to fit those thematics in. Mm-hmm. But I do think that Honda was much better at getting the emotion of those thematics through his human characters. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was one of Honda's biggest strengths is that whatever kind of message he's trying to give or whatever theme he's trying to have, whatever emotion he's trying to tell, he's able to really pull that through its human characters as well as whatever monster action is going on. Right. Whereas I do feel like Bono is very much fully focused on the theme, the theme, the theme. Mm. And I feel like it can be at the expense of the characters and the monsters in some ways because he's very much focused on using his... um, his tools that he has his you know the visual kind of oddities that the movie has and kind of the the you know the 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 PBS style interstills that the movie has as well are all directed to the pollution thing right absolutely even though that movie does have the greatest causes of the movie never <laughs> um then when you kind of move into the Hazy series you have kind of like a couple different directors uh, but the one that stands out to me is Okawara, mm-hmm. who directed, you know, Mothra, Mechagodzilla 2, and then eventually Des- Destroya. Um, and really solid three. Yeah, you know, no, no, like would would be among like the best run of films. Uh, yeah, within within this series. Yeah, and and overall, like you know, with maybe the exception. Well, I shouldn't even say the exception of Returns because Returns had the whole Cold War thing, but like these movies, we've already talked about in the hasty series are very much have implanted more of like a a specific theme to each one where but what's very specific about the okawara stuff is that they're the movies that closest resemble that honda approach the late honda approach when he got into the Ghidorahs of of the of his career in which really balancing that human story and then we and we have even said to varying degrees but by also adding this tragedy and personality to the creatures and and in my opinion really finding that balance between the two and it's one of the reasons where mothra is one of the best ones is because you have that great family story with the family at this at the center yeah. of it, it's like a classic Godzilla tale, and then you have just like Mothra, and then like the whole dynamic between Mothra and Batra, and then in in some ways, maintaining another aspect of Honda's career is by really showcasing Godzilla as the antagonist, or at least the force of nature to yeah. be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is funny how Okawara comes in and really, I think, is the one who. Um, really encapsulates a lot of that early sh- uh, Showa era directing, but, but say, for that uh, time period. But I think what, what Okawara is a great Godzilla director because I think he's, again, he finds that balance between the two sides. Mm-hmm. Because, like, especially, like, what I would say is that, like, Mo- like, Mothra is a really good example of kind of the human stuff, but I think all three of his movies from the Hasey era are very great demonstrations of, you know, really emphasizing and, and bringing a uniqueness to the monster side, the monster action, and bringing not just the emotion to that monstrous side, but because what, is, what do all those movies do? Um, you know, Mothra and Ro- and uh, Mechagodzilla 2 truly reinvent... Is, is, I think that, real quick, I think that's funny that you just wanted to call it Rodan. Yeah. Like Godzilla versus Rodan, which I kind of do, to be honest, because, yeah. again, show but, stealer but, but, in the movie. Like, 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 again, the impressive thing about both of those movies, how they reinvent those monsters for, you know, a modern age mm-hmm. and really showcase what makes those monsters 
great. Right. And and through that, the emotion of those monsters. Yeah. So when you have like, you know, it's still like Larva Mothra has never been better than he is in uh, she is in uh, that you know Mothra Hasey film. Yeah. In terms of again, fast paced. You know, actually being a threat, really good stuff. You have Batra, and then you have that final fight where all the emotion of, you know, this world, you know, stuff and Mothra versus Batra, and then Godzilla coming in, it all comes to a head. Right. And then, in, again, of course, Mecha Godzilla 2, Rodan and Fire Rodan is like, you know, still well, the greatest reinvention of one of those monsters. Yeah. And I do think that, again, he's able to mine the emotion of what Rodan is in that movie. And the sacrifices that Rodan has to make within that film, mm. and I think when you get to Destroya, which is a very emotionally charged film overall, mm. as being the last of the Hasey films, the last you know, representing you know this kind of transition with Miki, you know, as she's kind of moving on with her life, and at the same time as Godzilla's kind of dying, I think that with that with that new monster in there again, he really uses his camera and his just. The, the way that he creates the motions of that movie to really pull you in. I think the biggest thing now that you've kind of, you, you kind of made me think of this while you were talking about the through, not the through line, but one common aspect of all three of his films, especially in comparison to the Hasey films that you can really talk about the directing. And then again, there is a special effects unit on this. Yeah. But this is a common element in his films is the monster action and the monster fighting and the monster scenes way more dynamic, way more visceral, yes. have way more feeling and tactility to them. And overall, I'm a big fan of the special effects work in the Hasey series overall. But, you know. But if you compare those three movies to Space Godzilla. Yeah. And, and Space Godzilla is the one that comes closest but to me but, i would target tell, more well, i would said the first three yeah, yeah i would target more like biolanti and Ghidorah, and Ghidorah, and i like Ghidorah, but mm -hmm. it's a lot of monsters kind of standing across the fields from each other right. and shooting beams at each other and like and, and, there, and there's some it's, good it's, action it's, it's beats advantage too because like yeah you know, that kind of older, it's still using kind of an older school style of like Ghidorah puppet, which is unwieldy yeah, but, at but, some point. But at the same time, you but, also have a Mothra puppet, which they've been kind of basically using the same. Yeah, but but that's the thing, though, is that he, he, he definitely, Okawara, I think, really pushes the special effects side of things. Yeah. They really make those, because again, like what makes Larva Mothra so interesting in that 94 Mothra movie is that that Larva Mothra is for once a dynamic creature mm -hmm. that isn't just some hot dog sliding across and shooting silly string. Yes, it still does that, but it does it in a way that is actually, you know, fist pumpingly fun. You're right. Yeah. And I think that he really brings that out. But I, again, I do think that it it's that can stand out because he brings such emotion. He tries to bring emotion to that human plot line. I think it works yeah. in Destroya. I think it works in Mothra. Not necessarily as well in Mechagodzilla 2. Yeah. Um, but he always is able to bring it to the monsters, I find. Yes. In his, yes I think the emotion works on them. Because the thing about... I think he tries in Mechagodzilla 2, but the plot is so thin and unwieldy just from a script perspective. Oh, you mean that, for the human characters? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with but you I, about but the I think, human like, characters. He does a very good job in his other two Hasey era yeah. films. He does a great job. Fantastic job in Mothra. And I think that, you know, just the general feeling of the end that he brings to the Destroyer plotline, yeah. I think, is 
you know, I think that these the stuff with Miki really comes to a head within those films. Well, there the thing for me getting back to the monster element of it is like when you watch Ghidorah, Biolanti, and Space Godzilla, cool fights, but you do get the kind of sense it's like the way it's being treated in the movie is like, and like this is like the this is the part where the monsters fight is like kind of how you feel about it. Whereas there's just something a little bit more emotionally investing about like when Larva Mothra pops out of the ocean and then like tackles Godzilla's chest and like you're and you're kind of like oh yeah and it's like oh no here comes Batra yeah. and, or it's like just like remember when we were watching like when he's like choking Rodan like when he's just got got Rodan yeah. in the chokehold and he's just like spit like you know the saliva is coming out of his mouth and then like and of course like you know the one of the destroyer creatures like you know puncturing like uh like a wound into the uh into Godzilla Jr. um so it's just that's like the element that I think that is the common directorial aspect about the Okawara films that really stand stand yeah. stand it apart from from the other films. So I think that's another thing about the direction is like it's not only about like that balance of how you treat that monster action and like the but it's also it, it really is about the execution yeah. of it as well mm-hmm. because it's it's got to be because I don't know if it necessarily works as like well if the humans and the human story is a plus then then you can have like just okay monster action and it works yeah. i don't know if it works quite that way with a godzilla film it depends on the type of godzilla film you're you're saying like we've kind of talked about with the 2014 that one's a little different because the story that they're building up is a little bit mm-hmm. more incumbent on like by the end you'll see these creatures fight but for the most part it's like well but at the same time, like, you know, a lot of everything monster action in in Mechagodzilla 2 is better than most of the I other stuff that arguably spend more time on their human story. My thing is that, like, I think the thing is when you're directing a Godzilla film that I think you can have a fun Godzilla movie if the monster action is good and the human action is not as great. I think it's harder to do on the opposite end. I think if the human action is good, but the monster action, I feel like, you know what I mean? Because mm. I feel like when you look at like something like Mechagodzilla 2, for example, that's a movie where you know we have these Rodan, the Rodan stuff, especially the beginning and the and the end. You know, the Mechagodzilla Godzilla fight in the middle of the film isn't as great, but like the the monster action that surrounds it is really good, mm. and then it has a you know a human plot line that again barely contains itself but that movie is still really fun and really interesting to watch right. because you have the great monster action meanwhile if you take a movie you know if we're going like kind of around kind of like like even like space godzilla to an extent where you know we have the that fucking guy and we have kind of that stuff and more so with Mickey struggling with like her care for these monsters. Yeah. Which is like kind of well done. And then you have sort of a more traditional, you know, right. Mm -hmm. Like weird, like, or even a better example, um, in is Godzilla 2000 where, Mm, yeah, it's it's not the best human plotline, but it still brings interesting elements where you kind of have these two competing sides of Godzilla where there's the one who wants to study it. One wants to kill it. Yeah. Kind of their dynamic. But that one's a good example because it has a two, it has a pretty good lead, like, like two good leads where it's a solid, like the father and the daughter is a good, 
is legitimately a good aspect of that film. And then, but then at the same time, you're right. But because because the Orga and Godzilla fight is like two whales humping each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're right because it's like ultimately that's what you want. And unless you're crafting carefully crafting a movie where that is, you, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like where you feel like you get to the monster fight and you're like, oh, well, you know, the kind of ultimately what you came here for is lacking. Yeah. Then none of it, none of, I don't want to say none of it works, but it, 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 it because again, if we go back, like Megalon is more memorable and enjoyable than Godzilla 2000. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> or Megalon is another perfect example yeah. where it's like the human plot line isn't the greatest thing in the world but it does enough to get by yeah and but like the all-out monster brawl like that the whole movie but, is but that's is the still thing. enjoyable but because that monster fighting is well directed and they get you involved in the characters of those monsters and they get you involved into like you know for lack of a better word the motion and the joy and like the the rooting on for jet jaguar like it's not just like this is the part where the monsters fight like these are like the full-on scenes in the story they tell a story with yeah. those with those fights. And I, I think. I, ideally, like you, if I, I obviously, and ideally, you have both that are really strong. And uh, you know, there's many Godzilla films where those are both very strong. But like I said, it's easier to get by on that movie if that monster action is great because you know it just makes the movie fun. Yeah. If the human action is really good, if you have the best human story in the world, but then the monster action's a slog. It's just going to be harder to really justify that movie. Here's another aspect I think that 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 separates the great directed Godzilla films from like the from the other ones is the films that tell a story with their Godzilla action. Yes, because let's use Megalon as an example. That takes you through the whole story of underdog, like literally growing to size, facing off against two enemies put up against the ropes then the hero comes in and then pulls the han solo comes in yeah. and plays and then they finally you know they they duke it out and, and then you know and then one's helping the other one and you, like remember when the with the the ring yeah. of fire around yeah. them and then jet jaguars flying right. godzilla there's just, a they're telling this the story uh, yeah and one, one of the comes just to within that fight is uh the first mega godzilla movie because yes, you have kind what, of exactly you know the you know this guy's Godzilla at the beginning who's doing destruction and everybody you know kind of like oh this is weird Godzilla is usually good and then mm-hmm. you have the the confrontation and then it goes through and then Godzilla has to like lick his wounds yeah and, and you know you really establish Mecha Godzilla as a threat and then you get to that last fight and then meanwhile, also like the the what's it called the um, King Caesar and that element of the story yeah. as well and, and meanwhile like a movie that struggles with that and, and it's funny because again this is kind of like even though these movies have similar directors but you can kind of tell when a movie struggles with that like uh with Gigan because the thing about Gigan mm. is that that last fight between Godzilla and Gigan is again a 40 minute fight mm-hmm. and we've already talked about that Megalon is a movie where the whole movie is a fight mm-hmm. you know the whole movie is essentially like you know it gets like 10 minutes 15 minutes in and then the fighting like is just begins but the thing about that movie is again there's that sustained storytelling with that fight mm. there's some there's a consistency through it and all the ins and outs whereas the thing about that last you know that forty-minute fight is like it is just really two monsters just kind of hitting each other. That yeah. There's not really that much chemistry between Godzilla and Gigan within that movie. So without the lack of storytelling of that monster fight, it just you can just feel it. And I feel like there's other elements like very similarly, you know, issue you know poorly directed monster action mm. or not as well directed monster action. It's not always poor, just not as well. Kind of gets in that well, struggle where it's like. 
if you're not really bringing in and I mean, again, all time best is like Ghidorah. When you look at like the, you know, the Ghidorah, that last section where it's really like the monsters communicating with each other and not wanting to team up. And then Mothra makes her last stand and mm-hmm. then Godzilla mm-hmm. and Rodan finally decide, you know what, we've got to you know, right. put aside our differences. That's fantastic little storytelling that you do. Well, and then, and then just to make one last kind of comparison for, and as the time goes on in the Hasey era, let me compare, and I'm going to use Mechagodzilla 2 as kind of an example because it's probably like, you know, the third favorite of the Okawara films. But if you compare that to like, let's say a King Ghidorah, like the 91 King Ghidorah, like when the monster fights in King Ghidorah, we, you and you and like, there are plot mechanics that explain it. But ultimately, the fight is they shoot beams at each other, they tackle each other, and then eventually one wins, yeah. is kind of what the story is. When you get to Mechagodzilla 2, yes, they're shooting beams at each other, but now the story is like, well, now Godzilla is being bested by technology, but now here comes this creature that he killed at one point, and it's going to help him, and then it's like a phoenix a rising creature, from the... Can't the creature that's been reborn. Yeah, yeah, and it's just... And so just throughout all the actions and the different interactions of the monsters, there's way more context yes. and yeah. uh, subtext going on than just... Ghidorah and Godzilla fight at this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's what definitely separates, uh, that's what defines a really well-directed Godzilla film. Um, and then as we get into the Millennium Era, in the Millennium Era and the Reiwa Era and basically all the American films kind of fit into this unique category for me where now we're in a world where Godzilla is much more of an established thing so you kind of have directors approaching them in various different ways. Yeah. And in some ways you have directors who are huge fans of the property and are coming in yeah. and you know want to do something that honors the property or something that they've always wanted to see. Or you have the directors that are complete deconstructionists and want to you know do it, want to do it their way. Um, but the point being is that now it's a completely different period where – because I think what we're trying to illustrate beforehand is that, and overall is that with these – even though these are very much special effects-driven films and very uniquely for Godzilla where it's like you have the director and the special effects director, that there was a level of directors are coming in and implanting – there are – there are defining things about different directors coming in and doing and, and doing these films. And you can tell that by what's on screen and there are certain elements that stand out from others. Um, but those are directors just coming in and like, you know, Godzilla wasn't like this big beloved property yet. They're just like these, like people knew of them and yeah. there's obviously a history, but they're coming in and like, you know, just doing like cool, making cool movies with them. Now it's kind of that that thing where it's it's kind of like you know for you know even though this is a bigger example it's like the Star Wars thing where yeah. it's like you know Star Wars now is not like the thing where it's like oh you come in and just like you you, you just organically tell your yeah. story you're coming in with like a history of what you think Star Wars is yeah. and what you've always wanted to see in it or what you don't want to see in it anymore and I feel like. Godzilla we've seen from the millennium era on is kind of that has become that yeah. in, in, in a certain way. I do think it's interesting that you bring that up in terms of it. You know, we have a mixture of directors who know the material back and forth and love it. And mm-hmm. then directors who couldn't give to, you know, yeah. cares about it. And, and, and the because one out of those is, 
Emmerich obviously, obviously is, yeah. is the is extreme example. Yeah. yeah. But I would say that, like, because if we, you know, remember to earlier discussions in our podcast, you got to remember, too, that even within the Showa era, you know, June Vakuda has talked about his kind of up and down relationship with the series mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the, the, a lot of times they were just movies to him that right. he was making. And I feel like there's that kind of element where with Fukuda you can kind of tell when he was more interested in the project than, you know, when he wasn't. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of does transition into the modern era where we are kind of in this postmodern where Godzilla has existed for this length of time now that they're not in the show era where it is just like, oh, this, uh, this is just a series of movies that we put out every once in a while and, and, and you know, a varying degrees of, of playing with what the movie is. But when you have someone like Emmerich who really doesn't give two shits about what's going on in front of him and, like, has admitted so... It's just it's difficult to do, um, you know, a movie well, that way. But it, it's also interesting because I think, and you touched on the best point about it, is that all, all the films, especially in the Showa era, and to some degree the Hasty era, those were just jobs. Yes, those were directing jobs that probably some were more eager to take than others, yeah. and you know, and they and some like even did like a Honda, who's yeah. like again head up and down, like he always cared, and obviously Okahara, um feel felt like he had some investment in there, but mm. you're very much right in the sense that now when we get to the millennium era, because again, remember the millennium era is that response to 98. Right. It's a response to someone taking it on who doesn't care. Right. And, and the but lack even of, though, ca- but, but even though he did not care about it, it was a very distinctive, like, you know, I don't really care, but I, I want it to be this. So well, I, mean, like, I mean, Emmerich has a vision yeah. and Emmerich, we, I mean, We've said it before. If that movie wasn't called Godzilla, it would be a finely directed Roland Emmerich disaster blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. It would. It would be, you know, not as well reviewed as as Independence Day was, but it probably wouldn't have gotten as much hate if it was just. That's the, true. That's if a, it that's was a good just point. the beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. Yeah. You know, and the fact that it's just like you know he just made a movie called Godzilla it has nothing to do with Godzilla. It, it just puts another stamp on that movie, but. But in this whole time since the Millennium Era has started, I have not seen one story about a director who was coming on just as a job. And I don't want to, I'm sure that they did, but all the stories that we have been over have always been like either a director has a vision or they've been a fan yeah. of, right. the, of, the, of the property. Yeah. Which, cause like, and and then, then each of those movies within the Millennium Era has a certain respect. You know, whether or not the director was a hardcore Godzilla fan or was trying to do something completely different, there's a a, a general respect. Even GMK, there's a general respect for that history. Because in that one, Kaneko, he came on, and and that's kind of what I was leading into with like the deconstruction like he he came in with well we know what godzilla is let's deconstruct it or let's a, a do something bit. completely different but still within the realm of right it. yeah and not not in the same way that 98 is where it's like well let's just do something that's not to do with anything mm-hmm. it still is a godzilla film it's just like let's take some new elements let's right do something different and then and that has kind of like gone all the way up until like all these recent american films too with edwards and doherty like being very reverent to the source material yeah. and being super fans I mean, of it. The fact that King of the Monsters is the first of the American films to include mon- like traditional Toho monsters other than Godzilla. Yeah. And and the I mean like you when you watch that movie and you have like a bomb called the Oxygen Destroyer. Like you know that there's there's care and love to mm. like the history of these monsters in yeah. there. So like but 
what do you think about that trend overall about what what do you think that says or does is whether good or bad about now you have like this property that has way more of a history and way more of like a I don't want to say baggage but on one hand you do have kind of some expectation but with Godzilla you and I have kind of always like been a little bit more wary about what actual expectation yeah. is for these films so let's just talk about like the directors themselves because now, what do you think that does for a film franchise now that it's basically being helmed by people who have more of a history with it as opposed to it's like, well, this is just one of many franchises and this is just a job? Well, I feel like it's very much like when you do something like this, it's it's very much like the Star Wars comparison is apt um, mm-hmm. just because of Godzilla being a major force within Japanese cinema for so long. It's kind of that length of time. right? But it's not too different, to be quite honest, than what kind of happened with the Bond franchise to some extent. Once they started getting kind of, you know, you know, into the Craig era as a, you know, where it's like Casino Royale is very much similar way where it's like, you know, a a director who's familiar with the Terios, Martin Campbell, Mm. you know, taking it and doing a little bit of a deconstruction of what film Bond is and kind of bring it back to the books. And then you have that Craig era films where they're all kind of, you know, and then Mendez gets on board. Now we're going to see what, Fuganawa has. I feel like you know Star Wars. You could very say similar things where you have Gareth Edwards again and and Abrams and Johnson and all these directors who, you know, because it's the first time like Star Wars was taken from not George Lucas. Mm-hmm. So it's like all these directors who grew up watching those Lucas films, right? And I feel like that there's a lot of to be said about like how it reflects just the modern filmscape. To me, quite honest with you, in terms of the types of directors that are coming up these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for terms of within Godzilla, I think it's a very interesting, I feel like in some respects, the idea of it, of just these directors coming in is interesting. I don't know if specifically the millennium era itself reflects that, except for maybe, um, Final Wars to, to any extent, because that's the one that's more deepest into the lore, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. Because, like, when you look... Because, again, like, the Millennium Era has that thing where it just keeps resetting. And I think that, in some ways, that kind of hurts that kind of viewpoint, though. Because even though you have these directors that are coming in and have this big reference for it, we're just kind of still telling that same story. Right. felt like within those first ones. And then... But is that their uh, fault as directors? I mean, no. like, you know, I mean, because it's kind of like... If you have five different people who want to do a Batman movie, mm-hmm. like there may be the chance that it's five different people who want to make the same Batman movie, or not not make the same one, but they may touch on like a similar theme. similar thing, but in their way. Like yeah. it's like okay, like you may end up with five different movies that have the Wayne murder in it, yeah. but because like this person's going to show it like from somebody else who was in crime out you know what i mean so it's yeah. like you know you, you can't do, really but I blame do feel that's like you know i guess you could because I mean, they're the, the one what, who did what's, it one of the strongest directed movies of the millennium era it's our two mecha godzilla movies sure yes and yeah. it's because that those movies not only are connected so you can you know expand upon the ideas mm. and, and and tell those things because again when you look at the Shaw era directors each one of those movies are very individual but it very much was it really felt like each movie was in its own bubble. Yeah. That each movie was just like, okay, well, this is what we're making now. Yeah. Then you had the Hasty. But they also felt like spiritual successors yes. to the other it one. It was very yeah. much in that, again, the old DC hyper time where it was just like everything happened, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It was like things that you, the things you needed to happen, you know, people know Godzilla exists. Right. People know monsters are around. 
you know, we have plans in place. We're not going to use nukes. Like, that was, like, what you needed to know. Right. And then in the Hazy era, you have this very distinctive, big, ongoing plot line. And you had a character that spanned across directors that helped connect those movies. And and in general, you had these the, the ability for this franchise to in these directors to build off what had happened. You know, even if it was in subtle ways, even if it wasn't always like, oh, this is a direct sequel to what's happening, you felt like that was like a living universe where right. things were kept moving. And I think like the thing about the Hasty series is that those directors kept having to be like, this is my stamp. Mm-hmm. This is my start of what's going on. And I feel like the thing about those two Mechagodzilla films is because there's kind of a, a pair of them together when you look at them, they're able to you know expand upon the characters, expand upon that world, and expand upon what that want to say Godzilla is all about. And and then when you get the Final Wars, I mean Final Wars again is, is very much I feel like in that Hedora way where it's like it's definitely a vision, it's definitely <laughs> yeah, something yeah. a little bit different. It's definitely like you've got to credit the man for really putting his his tonal stamp, right? Even if it doesn't completely work, it just feels like those first three. And I know like. We've definitely had some discussions with uh, some people have discussed GMK and are big lovers of GMK. Out yeah, there. yeah, yeah. I, I don't deny that, guys. I think that is a very easy film. I can easily see it being a film to like. And you and I have definitely respected that, like that it it has its vision, mm-hmm. uh, and you can't say it doesn't. Yeah, and it, I, I, it, I feel yeah. like it's very much. I would say that I would give it the credit of, of directing. That yeah. again, it does a very good job of of the for the movie that that director wants to make. Mm-hmm. It's made. I feel like this; those first two of the Millennium Era are like uh, of Megagirus and like 2000. I think is actually not as well directed as I would hope that movie could be. I don't think so either. And Which then, is a shame because it's an Okawara film yeah. as well. So yeah, it's like, I feel like it's just like it's just a misstep on in his part in some ways. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Megagirus is fine. Yeah. I guess more so than anything else. Doesn't really do anything special directing Again, wise, yeah, but like kind of gets the job done. Yeah, yeah. And then he came back and did a better job with you know the Mechagodzilla films. Yeah. But um, then, we, then we get the Edwards, which we talked about in the previous episode. I think that Edwards really does bring a reverence to the character for an American audience mm. and that sense of scale. I yeah. mean. That sense of scale is just so impressive in the way that he really makes Godzilla and and the uh, Mutos feel big. Yeah, and and the way that he f- makes those human characters feel so small in like the best way possible. And then you get to like a Doherty who has real big, like you know, just love yeah. for for it, it yeah. all. But in an interesting way, and again, you know me, I'm always talking from a place of loving that film and loving him and his work on it. But is that a case of two inside baseball for for him? And not necessarily like you don't get it, but I wonder if his love for it, it really speaks more to people like you and me who yeah. are fans of the franchise already. Right. And did that movie really give a lot of... To, for to the a, a average gen- person to, the to come average in, person, yeah, uh, because there there are a lot of things where, you know, like there's things like the 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 homage to the, like the twins in it, which I think is fine as like an homage, but when you really think, I've always thought like that really means nothing unless you know. Yeah. Any of this stuff. Right. And I wonder if like, you know, for us, it was awesome to see Mothra. But but that's I don't I want to say that. But 
he directed those Mothra scenes so well where I know many people who saw the movie and who have varying degrees of opinions on the film who love Mothra in the movie. Yeah. So clearly, you know, there was some strength in the directing on that part to at least like establish that that uh, that element. But one of the things I was going to ask you before we move on to our final aspect is that we have talked about this before about how much of a fan do you have to be when you get into the in, into these projects it's always an interesting debate because yeah. i think there's i think there's good arguments on both sides i think at the very least you need to have a respect for the source material yes cuz that's where like emmerich falls into the wrong place is yeah. that he just had no respect for the source material i think you can be someone who doesn't know a lot about something and still direct a great version of sure. that movie, but you just gotta know what makes that movie work. Right. Like so many of like the Marvel films are people who you know, I can imagine there's people within that large scale of Marvel films that like the directors just didn't know that much about a character going into it. But right. because the studio brings such a, a a reverence to those characters that the director kind of gets oh yeah no I, I do like this character boom it's there but, I feel- it, but it's also a point of contention too because my example for that was always the 09 uh, Abram Star Trek film yeah uh, which I think is super solid and I, I think that is definitely an alternate take and it does his own thing and obviously you know it's a age-old story about how he was never a Trek person and yeah. that has led to some trek fans feeling how they do about those films but that i felt like but that was a way because i also didn't feel like the movie completely threw out like trek stuff yeah at least in my opinion yeah. I, and i'm not a trekkies and i've and i've heard a lot of trek people give very valid arguments for why they think that goes against the why that goes against trek or whatever yeah. But I do think, for me, it's like, I don't think you need to be a fan, but you definitely can't be dismissive That's really what of it what is. it is. Yeah. Because like I think like there's there's really arguments on both sides for good things, because a non-fan will bring a new perspective yeah. and open up something, whereas like, you know, a, a diehard fan like knows what it's all about. But at the same time, the diehard fan can get bogged up in the details, but the non-diehard fan can, you know, miss... The things that make it good. Well, because, and I find that for myself personally, as time goes on, I have more and more, I have less and less patience for when a project feels ashamed of its source material. Yes. Like once I, if I get any sense of that, I have so little patience for it and mm-hmm. like going, going uh, from there. Um, but there are examples. I think one of the, like, but one of the best examples recently, I was listening to a podcast with the, uh, with Damon Lindelof on like the most recent Watchmen series right yeah. now, uh, and he was talking about how I think it was either the director or the cinematographer, like some of the people, I think it was the director of the first episode, um, completely new to Watchmen in general. Yeah, like uh, like she was not a not that she wasn't she didn't like it. She just had no history with it in the same people way that Linda, there are people out there who have not yeah. read Watchmen. Uh but not but in the same way that and even Lindelof himself said that the writers room was filled with people who knew the book but some people knew the book better than others. Yeah. But he said that one of the best things about this director when she came on was that she didn't know anything about Watchmen so there was no 
kind of reverence for her to like go out of her way to make sure she was like ticking off boxes. But she did obviously did her homework and read the book and was respectful to the point of like, well, we have to do some callbacks to like this. Like yeah. it's like otherwise, why are we doing a Watchmen thing? Yeah. And I think that's almost and and by the way, and that show is amazing. If anybody hasn't started watching it, like the HBO Watchmen show is excellent, and I would say is probably a great example of that whole like you don't necessarily need to be a fan or honestly just surround yourself with a team of people who make up the entire gambit of things and find that happy it's medium. Just, it's a, the a passion for, even if it's not a passion for the material, it's a passion for making the material work yeah. and, and to respect it. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, that's any, in any case, yeah. in any case of, I, I go back to don't be ashamed of it. Don't be, yeah. Yeah. Because like, cause you can cause always it, go back to, well, we're respecting it, but we're still going to adapt it in this way that's like, no, 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 just don't, just don't be dismissive of what it is. Because sometimes, I mean, to be fair, like when we talk, we, we we give the DCEU a lot of crap on this show sometimes. But I feel like that there was some senses of things that happened in that early DCEU where they were like, we don't want to really, you know, touch this thing. Right, like, right. Like there was like some scared stuff about like, oh, we want to like make Superman like all serious. And, yeah. Like we don't want to defining like, do- it by what other things have been doing and like, Oh, don't, we're not that. Don't be, and- I mean, like I, I go back to that Kevin Smith Superman story, right? Like where like John Peters is like, I don't want to see the boy scout. I don't want to see him flying. I don't want to see the tights, but like that, that's what the elements that make it like you can do stuff that make it totally different, but still find the things that make it, you know, Godzilla mm-hmm. or that make it bond that make it, a Disney movie, I don't know. <laughs> um, they make it Transformers, like like you can t- attest to. Yeah, Michael Bay's Transformers yeah. movies, right? Yeah. And in comparison to that, with like Bumblebee, right, where there's like a little bit more reverence for that original material, mm-hmm. whereas like you you know the Bay movies can kind of feel sometimes like outside that first one, they really like it's just like Bay wants to tell and, his own and, story and using me, the the yeah. And for me, if a director has some of that respect or that reverence for it, I'm automatically a little bit more engaged and it's not because like it's ticking off a fanboy box for me it's because it's like well this movie is having fun and it's like so naturally being what it's supposed to be that there's no mental or creative leap or hurdle for me as a viewer to like get into it you know what i mean isn't the perfect example of this james gunn and guardians of the galaxy because that whole story was he wanted to do a different thing you know, like Hit Monkey or whatever it was, and yeah. they're like, "Well, what, what? What? Look at this." He had never like really read anything Guardians, and immediately fell in love with the characters. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're and, right. He had no he real, had no real previous inkling. history. With and like, it. you know, when you look at the way, like he, yes, he does put his own spin on characters like Rocket and Drax, but there's still a reverence to like keeping Rocket as weird as he is, right? You, and exactly. And keeping Rocket to be like that character. And like now everybody loves Rocket and it's great. Right. But I feel like that's like the perfect example of that. And I feel like Godzilla directors kind of need that aspect, especially because Godzilla is a franchise that is all over the place. Mm -hmm. I think like there are so many versions of like, no, just the straight up like, you you know, do you go 54? Do you go King Kong versus Godzilla? Like the really big monster brawl? Do you do like go more hasty where it's again, more, more Godzilla on the, on the, on the villain side. There's so many ways you can take Godzilla mm. that I feel like even other franchises don't have that issue. Um, you know, like when you look at something like, um, I just had the example in my head. Now I just forgot. 
Um, but anyways, what I'm saying is like, or when you look at like Terminator, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you had like the first one that's kind of horror, but since Terminator two, it's all been, okay, we're doing the action movie in the mm-hmm. future and stuff like that. And you kind of, it's easy to find when they make a new Terminator movie or make a new alien movie. Right. Like even like, even though like alien has been kind of that place too, it always kind of comes back to that horror element yeah. of the first one. And I feel like with Godzilla, there's so much tonal and so many monsters that like, I feel like sometimes it can be overwhelming, but I feel like it's, that's why it's as important to have that respect and know that the Godzilla franchise is so widespread mm. in terms of the way it, those stories are told that to kind of find where your voice lays. And, and it's, and especially now it's very, it's more likely you'll get a director that way. And not only because of the current climate of like, it seems like you more often than not get people who do have some of that respect or at least that willingness to embrace the source material a little bit more. But, but, but also you're right. Godzilla is niche too. So like the people that have kind of been getting into these films are people who have some sort of history or at least some sort of, cause even like going outside of Godzilla, if you've ever heard Jordan vote Roberts talk about calm, I was going to actually just mention he, this. he, 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 he Almost, he waxes poetry about what he wants it to be, and yeah. none of it is ever. And there's certain beats that he wants to avoid, but it's never out of like I don't want to be that movie. It's more of just like no, I want to embrace like some of the crazier aspects of like right. all the things. Like that I this was going to say, be. like Kong, even though it's not a sex, you know, it's part of the MonsterVerse, not technically a Godzilla film that we're talking about. But Roy Roberts is is another really good example of him just balancing those elements of of having that respect for Kong. And but also making Kong his, you know, because you know it, it's a very different Kong movie. Mm-hmm. It very much focuses in on Kong the monster as opposed to kind of the the human element that most of those other other Kongs. right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he does enough with that you know, to make that human cast fun. Again, yes. he has great Kong action in that movie, but he does enough with that humans to be like they're still entertaining they're still fun mm-hmm. and so it's easy to follow right and it's still easy to have fun with so that but again that that kong action when he's fighting those other when he's fighting the skull crawlers and and fighting all those other and eating the octopus it's like it's still so impressive and so again massive. it comes down to that story is being told yeah. through the through some of the the action again, that as balance. well and i do want to mention too that obviously we have not come across our final really big godzilla movie which is Shin Godzilla, right? But I've also heard good things about that one and its directing. So. And again, it, it, and that's one where none of that—it's definitely a different take, mm-hmm. and it's definitely doing something different with it. But it's being—it's embracing um, some of the original roots of Godzilla. And then when you eventually, when we do eventually watch the movie, you will see that it does have reverence for the entire history of it in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. That's all I'll say. That's about all it. I'm looking forward to. It. Um. So as we wrap up, speaking of like some of these directors, is one of the things I wanted to kind of do as I like my little uh, fun thought exercises of thinking about new directors to the to the Godzilla franchise. Um, now specifically, I'm to be fair going to be talking more from an American point of view. So I'm just kind of coming from the point of view of like, what are some directors that if you mention their name right now? Or would I be excited about? Or ones that I'd be like, here's my wish list of like directors I would want to see tackle a Godzilla movie. And some of them are, there's going to be at least two that could be on the verge of like either obvious or kind of eye-rolling. And I'll yeah. give my uh, reasons why, because I, I do um, believe in my choices. And then there's some other ones I don't think you're going to say guess. that I'm going to say. Wes Anderson. <laughs> 
Uh, no, but I would like to see him direct like the Shobajin scenes. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see that. Um, the, the Wilson brothers yeah. as the Shobajin. <laughs> Or, wow, uh, it's Mothra. I can't remember their names, but there was these directors of this movie called Bastard. I don't know if you ever Oh, heard of yeah. <laughs> Listeners, friends of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick Young. <laughs> um, and Paul. Don't and pa- Paul. Oh, and Paul Robinson. Yeah, sorry. No, I didn't mean that. I was just in the middle of laughter. But you should go see Bastard because it's fun. It's a and, good movie. And we'll edit it in. Yeah, I worked on it. <laughs> That's why we're mentioning it. And I have, a, I have a vocal cameo. <laughs> um. But yeah, so I just wanted to kind of close out with like that about like some directors yeah. that we would like to see uh, tackle uh, a Godzilla film or really just like any of like a to- like a Toho Kaiju yeah. film. Um, so I don't know. Did you want to go? Did because I know I, I want you. To, this I want you to you. go first. I want you to go first. So do you just want all of my choices? Yeah, because I have four. I have four primary choices. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, You're- so I'm gonna start off with one kind of kind of like eye-rollingly basic one okay. but it, it, it's kind of like I, I think this would just be something that would entice me mm-hmm. joss whedon okay the reason i say that is because i'm thinking more of like you know what one thing we haven't had like a big like because when i think about like like again you and i big fans of both of his avengers film and you and, and i are especially uh, big defenders of his second Avengers film, Age of Ultron. Yes, uh, that is true. And I, because, and I'm a big, huge fan of that one. Love, love Age of Ultron. Sorry, every sorry, internet. That's I, just I'm, how it works. I'm, I'm, I'm also a defender of that movie. But and the, I also technically kind of worked on it. So, but the, and the thing is, like, you know, um, it would be kind of like a return to like a big blockbuster thing. But I think that that. A Godzilla movie would almost fit his sensibilities of blockbuster filmmaking that well. And almost kind of like it would I think it would just be at its worst a really solid blockbuster yeah. and at its best something because I think that he established that he could do like crazy big blockbuster action with the first one with like, you know, the pithy banter and like, you know, the fun dialogue and everything, which if you just did that with a Godzilla film, I think he could knock that out in his sleep. Okay. But if you give me, like, what I always have defended of Age of Ultron being, like, admittedly maybe some, uh, like, a bit of a a flawed film in some of its pacing and some of its, like, directorial choices, but ultimately was a movie that was taking its time to have some of these more broader thematic character-driven things. Yes, I do believe that about that movie. Um, I I would agree with you. But then also have some of those crazy big like you know set pieces with yes. like them fighting big giant robots and there's just something about I th- I and I he was not somebody that I expected to put on this list but when I was thinking about those movies those were the movies out of all the blockbusters I've seen recently I'm like you know what that those movies are the perfect tone balance of what I think a fun Godzilla movie would be like a fun hazy style film could mm-hmm. be and I and so that's what brought him to mind and I think like if you had announced like he's going to like either reinterpret Godzilla or make like a fun kind of like Showa era hazy era amalgamation film that would be like the the best. Right, uh, well, that's for me. not a choice I expected you yeah. to say. So I'm, I'm interested <laughs> to see your other three. Uh, my other three. Um, another one is kind of goes in a slightly opposite direction. Uh, John Krasinski. Okay. After his uh, leap off of uh, basically off of the work of a Quiet Place. Yeah. Now the reason I said this one is because 
great family drama in that knows how to do character. But if you've ever heard John Krasinski, well, first of all, just talking about the movie itself, balancing that with the monster aspect and the horror aspect of that top notch. Yeah. But if you've ever heard John Krasinski, look up his Empire interview talking about A Quiet Place. Yeah. This is a guy that I don't understand why he doesn't have like a Marvel or a DC or a Star Wars movie already. Because here's another aspect. We, we well, were he could have. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. technically, <laughs> technically, he could have had a lot of them right <laughs> yeah, now. That's true. That's true. But as a director, it's like again, it goes back to that thing about we were talking about the reverence and respect for these these types of movies. Is that when you hear John Krasinski talk, he is somebody who is so much of like a fun film nerd about what he's like. Because it's very easy for yeah. a lot of like filmmakers to be like, well, isn't it like, isn't that part of the fun that you don't know where like the aliens came from? Like, you know, just kind of like that general, like, oh, don't want to ruin the magic of filmmaking. Yeah. John Krasinski's the type of guy's like, oh, yeah, no, I imagine like they came in on a meteor and like, you know, and it's like, if you notice at the beginning of the film, it says like it only happened in this amount of time. And if you look at that like newspaper, clipping there's something that kind of alludes so it's like him talking about films but mm-hmm. also the way not only was it fun and infectious but you can tell that he was not at all shy about delving into the more sci-fi more imaginative aspects of the film and the fact that he has that sensibility but ultimately delivering like this pretty really good family you know uh piece about like this family and the the fatherhood and the motherhood and everything like that and really striking that tone balance very well like and 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 i would say that would probably be more of a serious godzilla film but if you were to tell me that i think that i would be happy it's like oh this is his like i'll be interested to see where his film career goes after this because i think the thing about krasinski more so than anything else is that he has his iconic role as jim on the office i think that you know, on like, because a lot of other actor, like actors who become directors, have like a full film, you know, career, and then they kind of transition into directing. And mm-hmm. I think like people kind of say, "Oh, they've had experience." Whereas Krasinski kind of burst onto the scene with that movie, and I do feel like I think he there's a lot of opportunity for him, and I would not be surprised if he gets like another major adaptation blockbuster, yeah. in the future. So because uh, he was also someone I thought about, I did think about him, yeah, uh, I, for my list. I mean, if you haven't seen a Quiet Place, I, and I kind of essentially to. put him on it, but you know, it yeah. was like kind of like a oh yeah, I, I would like this. So anyway, so my my number my number two was somebody I resisted a little bit because mm-hmm. it almost seemed too basic. Yeah, but I, the more I thought about it the more I just had to pick James Wan. Mm-hmm. Because, and not because of any of his horror work. Because of Aquaman? Dude, Aquaman is one of it's the- a crazy movie. It is. So, the reason I love that movie mm-hmm. is because, and you know, there there's certain elements about like the quality of storytelling in it, but at the same time, the I will always respect that movie for being this huge- overly long just epic yeah that ultimately like the fact that like the thing about that movie that really responded to me why i ended up on the side of like really digging it was because it was super unapologetic and all of its fantasy and james wan just went for it mm-hmm. and he went for the tone that he wanted to go to uh, for unapologetically and he covered everything that you Honestly, like I got to the end of the movie, I'm like, what are you gonna do with an Aquaman too? <laughs> because it's just like he just like I just felt like there was 
there was no shackles on him to keep anything left to the imagination. And ultimately, by the time it ended, he told this sweeping epic of this underwater kingdom that ended with this huge like scene of just all these sea creatures and everything. And there's just something about that colorful, grand spectacle nature that really feels epic mm-hmm. that I think a Godzilla film could use. Yeah. And it and I'm thinking more of that for a truly Showa era return to like something like a destroy all monsters. Like if he made a de- if James Wan was making a destroy all monsters in that type of sensibility with just that amount of fun and that amount of commitment to the imagination and the color and just the wackiness. Yeah. Sign me up. Okay. Sign me up for that. And then especially if you got, and I actually think if you got Lee One L on board as well too to bring mm-hmm. in that sense of humor. Yeah. Um, be a good team. I, I, I that that's a that's a big one for me. What's your final choice? I don't think you're gonna know. You're. I, this is the one I didn't think. Cause so like, have you not been able to guess my list at all? Who who do you think I was gonna say? I had no idea. Yeah. That's why I wanted to hear yours first. <laughs> I don't think you're gonna. I think you're gonna be surprised by my list yeah, too. As as it should be. That's what makes this fun. This next one, I don't think you're going to know, and I think it's going to throw a little uh, everybody for, for a loop. Um, and apologies if I'm mispronouncing the name, but my final choice would be Louis Luterrier, who, if you don't know why I'm choosing that, not because he directed The Incredible Hulk, but because he has currently, not currently, he has just directed the entire series of The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, one of the, the maybe one of the best shows that many of you are not watching if you haven't been watching it. Yeah. The reason I say that though is because what the what he ha, what him and his team have been able to do with this film because and this is the choice to me Nick that if you were to say like oh he's doing the next Godzilla movie sign sign yeah, me sign up, up because yeah. and 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 it's that way like I have no expectations for it other than his work on the Dark Crystal the fact that that show has been basically been able to create what i call like game of thrones with essentially puppets it's like game of thrones and lord of the rings meets muppets yes. is ultimately but basically create this wild like you know lore driven mm-hmm. like kind of politically dri- like political story of like you know mysterious intrigue and with all these characters that you fall in love with but being able to not only direct all the emotion and the characters through these puppets, but also be able to do all the action through different ways of the amalgamation of CGI um, and with the actual puppetry and the augmented puppetry and how to create set pieces for that. He's done breaking down a scene videos that you should look up about the amount of work that goes into just like using like the practicals in the CG environment and like how much goes into just doing like the insert of like one character's hand grab having another character's hand and that reminded me of that old school directing of like the suits and everything mm-hmm. and all the stories that we were hearing about you know working with the practicals of the Godzilla outfit and it would be even better like if I, you know I don't shy away from wanting to do like the computer generated stuff with right. the Godzilla film right. um and like not at all and if like that's the direction you want to go that's to go but clearly this guy has way more of an eye for uh, storytelling and filmmaking using all those special effects that I think none of us knew that he had. And granted, he has like 
the whole Henson company behind him as well. Uh, but clearly he has an eye for it and that can't be, uh, y- like you have to admit that when you watch that show. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So also kind of a plug. For if you haven't seen dark re- crystal, age yeah. of resistance, go log into your Netflix and watch it. You have right to, it, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's incredible. And uh, it really, it, especially in this day and age, um, to do something like that mm-hmm. and, and tell that type of story with, with oh. that type of means with that, with those type of effects and do it so well. It, it's just, it's like amazing that that exists. And, and I was going to say like, but, and if you were to tell me like, Oh, and then they're going to tr- use augmented like practical suits too. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, dude, like that—that's the one. But he would be the one, just n- with no other context, just based off of a recent work and the type of work that he's done recently. That would be maybe my number yeah. one choice. Okay. That's yeah. an interesting <laughs> list. What? What? Out of those, what would be? Do you think? I think would that be last that? one um, would be really interesting, and I would also be—I'd be—I'd be fascinated with any one of those choices. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I will say probably uh, John Krasinski was on my honorable mentions list. Okay, because uh, I also had four. I I, had, I put together four people uh, that I would like to see kind of put put their stamp on the Godzilla franchise. I did have two honorable mentions. I had uh, John Krasinski for similar reasons to you. I think that he's just a fun guy. Uh, I think he has a if 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 they let him, he'll have a great directorial career i think he's he's right for a big time movie mm-hmm. uh and i think a quiet place is kind of a perfect example of that my other honorable mention i should real quick about john krasinski i also give credit to anybody who when asked about doing a big movie uh doesn't like it seems on board yeah for it like okay. i always have respect for people who do that um the other one's an honorable mention because it's a very specific scenario okay of course the, what's the hottest name one of the hottest names in hollywood uh, Taika Waititi, if okay. he does a Jet Jaguar movie okay. and he plays the inventor of Jet Jaguar. <laughs> if that all comes together, I want him to do that. Um. Okay, yeah, you got me on board. Because I don't know board. if he could do like a Godzilla. I think I think like maybe a little bit, you know, if he did no, like... No, uh, no, no, no. I got a better idea for you. Taika Waititi directed Jet Jaguar. Yeah. He plays Jet Jaguar. Goldblum plays the... Dur- plays the... the- <laughs> The scientist that Fair creates enough. him. Fair enough. He mo- yeah. Because I could see him getting into the mocap yeah. and, and like the suit of Jet Jaguar. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I think I have a, a very interesting list of names as well. I okay. do have four people that I, I would like to see. Um, the first one that came to mind, this was a little bit of a struggle because I'm very much, I am. I'm was not, was there criteria that you were thinking about when making this list? Because it was a very specific was, thing for me. I think. I was kind of thinking about the type of Godzilla movie these people would make, mm-hmm. and it was also because like I'm very much like I'm a lot more utilitarian when it comes to directors. I'm there's very not much directors who would be like, oh my god, they're doing it, unless it was like if like tarantino had done like a godzilla movie you know right. or like, or like someone like, or like west like if it was someone like really weird like like big and weird yeah like, you, that would be like but I, but not it wouldn't intrigue me like oh, i'm excited i'm just like oh that's odd you know it's more right, so than that right. but like I'll, otherwise i'm very much like oh just get the director i'm sure they're gonna be fine yeah because like, i, like, I should have also maybe forewarned like i am 100 percent not the person where it's yeah. like I want David Fincher to do a Star Wars. No, no, like, I, I don't. I'm I, not I, that but, but person. That would just more be so like, like when when they're like when Tarantino's going to do the Star Trek thing. That's more so like, oh, that's really weird. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I'm not like a director guy. Like I'm just like I, I like directors. Don't get me wrong. Right. I do like directors. Um, but it's more so just like 
they get announced to do a movie. I'm like, okay, that'll be interesting, it, it, or okay, I'll be interested to see what The that reason means. I only mention that, because I think a lot of people would expect, or more, because it's a little bit of a sexier pick, but... I just don't think that's how you and I are. No, no, like, no we're not. Yeah, we're not like. So I'll just get the mind. Yeah. So there, the, there was one name that kept ringing in my head uh, for this, and it's like, and again, these are all people that like I don't know if they would ever be interested in doing these types of movies. You know, just I'm just putting it out there as like if they were interested, I'd like to see them do it. My first choice, the one that kept coming to mind, was uh, Christopher McQuarrie. Uh, director of mm-hmm. uh, the last two Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, and I, I say that one because if there's any chance for us to get Tom Cruise in a Godzilla movie, <laughs> this would be it. But also, what I really liked about, and we're going to talk about McCurry uh, in our regular Bond yeah. episode in, in the next episode, in the next yeah. episode. Yeah. But what I really like about McQuarrie in his directing style within those two Mission Impossible movies is I feel like he has a really big handle of making that huge action interesting. Um, and and really presenting these wide, giant, insane, crazy set pieces, while also giving just enough emotion to our human team where you are really invested in them. Mm-hmm. Like he he more so than I think even I mean I think kind of Bird really starts that you know it kind of a little bit starts with Abrams Bird kind of brings it out a little bit, but really it's the McQuarrie films that really bring like the Mission Impossible team together, mm-hmm. and I feel like when you add Rebecca Ferguson into that core group within those mission impossible films, I just feel like there's just a really fun dynamic and there's really fun, just enough caring about what those characters are, what they're here for. So that when you, when you do have these kind of more personal stories intersect with these big action sequences, it kind of just really works. And I feel like that's kind of something if you were say what these Godzilla movies were missing, it's kind of something like that. And I feel like he really balances that really well. And then when I just see him talk about writing, when I see him talk about directing, just a matter of fact approach of it, right. not in a bad way, but he really is just kind of straightforward with like, it's hard. Yeah. And he, but he puts in the time to work and work and mm-hmm. work. And I feel like if you, if he was interested enough in doing a Godzilla movie, I think it would be very, just something, and and, and like yes, those, and the Mission Impossible films use a lot of special effects, and you know some of them more practical than others. But I would really like to see him kind of take on sort of a bigger special effects movie, and just kind of see how he continues that, you know, because I genuinely think, and I'll talk about this next episode. I genuinely think that he should have been at least considered for nomination for best director for what he did with Fallout. I think that movie is so impressively directed, and I just want to see him do more. Yeah. Um. So that would be my first choice. Second name that came to mind is uh, Joseph Kowinski. Uh, he was close yeah. on my list, but and he was mostly because I just want to see him do I, another. It's movie. kind of that way too, because yeah. he's a. For those of you who don't know, he directed Tron Legacy, Oblivion, and he's he's directing uh, Top Gun Maverick next mm. year. Um, the thing about like I kept going back to more so Oblivion with with Kowinski. Yeah, and just that like, was that was my the yeah. scope of that movie. And even like that movie has a lot of empty spaces, but still feels huge. Mm, still yeah. feels big. And again, is a movie where when I kind of talked about it earlier, where it's like the human characters feel small but big. Yes, and I agree. And I think that, and uh, Kowinski, his biggest strength is his work with special effects. He has that special effects background before he was a director. He was in special very effects. similar to Edwards in that way. At least like that's the type of vibe I get yeah. from the use of special effects in his films. And just like, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of the way Tron legacy is directed. I'm a mm-hmm. huge fan of that movie. Um, I really, the more I go back to oblivion, the more I love it. 
Yeah, and I think he, I think he, Oblivion's like, a well-directed the thing, movie. The thing about Kowinski is that I think he's a very good director that found himself in two hard spots with way Tron Legacy was marketed, which I don't think was well, and the kind of the release of Oblivion as well. I don't think helped him at all because I think those are two very well-directed films that just didn't do too hot at the box office. He's getting another chance next year with Maverick, which I'm sure will be a box office hit. Which and just I, from the trailers still seems to have that scope and yeah, scale. Yeah, scope and scale. And I think that, again, there's nothing I like with, with Edwards was that scale. And I think that Kowinski would bring that with the special effects and I think kind of really just make a really visually dynamic movie. Yeah, I agree. Uh, third pick that came to mind, mm-hmm. uh, Ava DuVernay. Okay, all right. Because I just feel like... So you're, you're going to... Talk me into this one. Talk, th- this may be the one. I just Talk. felt like I really like her. Uh-huh. Uh, I do too. She, I should get that. She won me over specifically. She won me over at D twenty three when she talked about Wrinkle in Time and just the way she talked about that movie. Yeah, and and making a big because that was very much a different movie for her, uh, especially in comparison to what she had done before a big movie. And now she's doing New Gods over at DC. I think that she would just bring to me. She's someone who loves film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's someone who loves making film. And I think sometimes you need that. Mm-hmm. But I also think that she... You need enthusiasm, You need definitely. the enthusiasm. And I think it just seems like whatever project she gets into, there's just a gusto for her. Mm. And on top of that, I do feel like she is someone I think could that could bring an interesting thematic element mm. to the Godzilla franchise. Definitely um, a different perspective. A different perspective, and that's Unique why I kind of uh, I kind of picked her. Yeah, um, that's a good. That's I kinda a good. Wa- I kind of want to pick a female director as well. I think that would be a different perspective. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, like, I think she again handled herself with Wrinkle in Time well. I think the way again she's just like going all in on new gods. Did you see Wrinkle in Time? Uh, I eventually saw it later. Okay, but you have seen it. I have seen it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that's in terms of again the the effects. I think she she handled well. I think that movie will probably not get like hugely rediscovered, but I think there's elements of that movie that I do like. Yeah, so for me, I got to watch Wrinkle in Time. For me, it's only because because I that came across my eyes about thinking about that because I have all the same respect for her that you do, and I am a huge fan of the work that she has been passionate. Yeah, uh, about like right. with and, her and, like and again, this TV is all like, her in film. like theory if they're passionate about right. it. Like if she does, I, I wouldn't want to. But force that's the thing. It. It's like clearly she has an interest in doing a film like, like this. this. Yeah, I am. I would like to see another one if yeah. that makes sense. That's fair. Um, that's fair. Because there's just I. That's the biggest thing about her that I think entices me about what you said is like that she would definitely bring a different point of view that none of these other directors would bring. And I think that that would be a much needed aspect to it. So I'm a little bit more on board with like that angle of it. Okay, Okay, this last one, I'm going to say it's kind of cheating because this person's technically not a director, technically not a director, but he is a person that would really put his personal stamp Okay. On, on the franchise. Okay. Akira Toriyama, creator of Dragon Ball. Okay. All right. Okay. Wait, what? are we talking about live action or animated movie? I was thinking maybe whatever you wanted, but I was thinking animation. Yeah. No, I mean, I was because I was thinking like if I wanted to put in an anime, which I think is completely valid. Yeah. Now I'm. 100% on board with that. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So one of my favorite movies that I've seen this year is Dragon Ball Super Broly. 
and which also has a really good director attached to it, just like a, a general anime director. Mm-hmm. I, but I picked Toriyama because Toriyama, the thing about him, especially his recent work, when he came back to Dragon Ball with Super, which I've kind of started getting into a little bit more this year, is he really focused in on kind of, again, balancing that crazy over-the-top action with really fun characters and really fun character dynamics. And I feel like when I watched Dragon Ball Super Broly, I, I saw it on a whim uh, earlier this year. It came out uh, It came out in December 2018 in Japan. It had a, a limited release. It did very well here in the United States. Well, I saw it on a whim partially because I had been getting into these Godzilla movies. And when I w- saw that movie in the theater and just like the way that the bigness, again, the hugeness of that kind of Japanese action, that anime fighting with kind of the fun characters he have in, in Goku and, and Vegeta and Frieza and, and Broly to himself. I just feel like if you kind of brought that animation style to like a Godzilla fight, mm-hmm. give like Toriyama like a Mecha Godzilla or a Gigan mm-hmm. to play with, give, give a big, big monster brawl have these kind of human, you know, Toriyama designed characters that are kind of in the middle of it, watching it, um, you know, kind of getting involved in some way or another. I just feel like you could just put together a very interesting, bright, colorful movie. Yeah. Uh, very different than the anime series that we have gotten, which again, I haven't seen, but I'm sure we'll watch. It would be like, a, once again, very similar to my, the reason I would want, James Wan to do one because I'm looking for like a big crazy Godzilla film. Yeah, and then I feel like like if because I've seen Broly with you and it's infectious fun. Yeah, uh, and it's just like it, it's and completely like- bonkers, and it's something that I think that it's a pure right to the veins that injection that i think the godzilla franchise could use and again it's like i know he's not technically he's more like the kind of producer creator writer of that stuff but i do feel like it's one of those things where his personal stamp is so distinct Mm -hmm. like even the stuff he designs because he's not just a dragon ball creator but he's like designed all the dragon quest games and you know he's had a big legacy with him and, and he's a very influential person in the history of anime in the history of of japan uh even like the history of like Japanese media in America, like Dragon Ball and Toriyama are, are a huge influence on kind of that, you know, in the eighties and nineties. And I just feel like he's, especially with super, he's just created such a fun style and, a, and the, the action that he creates with those characters is so distinct and dynamic and fun that putting that in a kaiju sense and making it even bigger, mm-hmm. I think would be super cool. Uh, no arguments for me on on that one. I like that list too. I like. I think that, uh, and especially with you kind of like bringing up that point about Ava. Like I was like, I, I think like any of those people, if you told me that they were making a Godzilla film, mm-hmm. uh, then that I'm, I'd be on board. I'd yeah. be on board. Um, so well, Wes Anderson's Godzilla. <laughs> Would be a treat. I wouldn't mind like a, a, a Wes Anderson Infant Island short. <laughs> you know what? No, honestly, if it was a Wes Anderson animated film, yeah, I would. I wouldn't mind that. Oh, like like a Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, film. yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, so yeah, so I think that's gonna do it for for this deep dive on directors. I think this was a a, a fun kind of uh. Well, you have you have an addendum. Yeah. Wes Anderson could actually make the best version of All Monsters Attack. Could you imagine like having like that kind of? That's actually not a bad idea 
because I can already I can see the film already in my head. Right. Just take like the kid like just take like what he did with uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. With those kids. And, you know, make it a little bit less like him becoming a bully at the end. Yeah. Which is having, like, the kids and... But even in a Wes Anderson film, yeah. like, I think I may buy that a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Nick, I think that does it for this deep dive. Uh, well, I hope everybody's enjoyed that. Um, probably, maybe we'll put it out on, like, the old Twitter webs of, uh, you know, here those are our choices for directors yeah, we, you would like to see. And you I'm, should put, like, four pictures or something together of, yeah. our, four, of our choices. Yeah, I'll definitely post that. And then you guys can tell us what some of the directors you're like. Obviously, I'm sure there's some of the bigger names that you wish we yeah. mentioned. Well, you can mention them on your Twitter page. I mean, you know the real truth of it, though? You know, Tar- Tarantino would make a good Godzilla movie because there's a giant foot in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well uh tarantino did uh cry at the beginning of godzilla 2014 and uh you know that also has a giant foot scene in it mm-hmm. at the airport so i'm it sure does. maybe maybe that was the scene that he was actually talking about yeah. and everybody just thought it was like the, the, the beginning, beginning of yeah. it yeah mm-hmm. um all right well i think that does it for this episode guys thanks for uh tuning in and listening to what we think it really takes fun. to be fun. a godzilla director uh so uh what spawned this but is of course us two being directors of the yeah. Godzilla movie. Well, no, we, we're already pitching the Jet Jaguar film, so yeah. like fu- we should have introduced ourselves as future directors of the Jet Jaguar film. Yeah. It'll happen. Uh, but uh, so the, you can go back and listen to the episode that inspired this one with Godzilla 2014, a big episode to match the big scale of that film. And uh, please stay tuned for our next episode in which we talk about Bond. Uh, for the holiday season in which we uh, talk a little bit more about uh, Mr. McQuarrie with uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. That should be a fun one. I'm excited. Uh, But uh, until next time, everybody have a happy Thanksgiving, safe drives, good meals. Peace. Bye-bye.